Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the HBCU Audio Experience Podcast. We want to thank you and wish you a happy Thanksgiving. The team here at HBCU Grad is thankful for you, your time, and your attention. Hope you enjoyed the episode. You know, this is a special interview because I rarely get to talk to people that I already know, let alone that are my true friends. I can ask you questions I can't ask you in real life because it would be weird, you know? I can't ask you certain things like my boy, you can be like, man, what's wrong with you asking me these crazy questions? So, you know, it's a, um, it's a unique opportunity and I appreciate it. But to give the audience a little feel for who you are, Terrence Lee is the author of Quiet Voice, Fearless Leader. And I saw about a year ago, you started to get real serious on Instagram. From where, from where I sit, I get a chance to see a lot of people get serious about content and most of the time people fizzle out what was your approach to content when you started your journey and what challenges did you face what insights did you uncover on the content journey because people don't realize and i know you know it now that creating content is hard it's probably one of the hardest jobs that people think is easy so what, what did you kind of just give, walk me through your content journey and when did you start? I know it had to be about a year ago, which I think was extremely smart in what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely, man. So so first and foremost, you know, uh, I just want to, you know, thank you for having me on the platform, man. This is, uh, you know, it's, it's good to be talking to you, you know, and, and I agree, you know, it's, it's not often you get to talk to uh, have an interview like this with people you really know and people you rock with. Right. So now nah, I just appreciate you having me on, man. So, yeah. So all of this started in like early 2020. So really right before the pandemic. And that's when I got the idea to do something to empower people with introverted personalities. And so it's interesting, you know, I, I had a lot of time to think about, you know, myself, I had some different things going on uh, in my personal life. And I really started to think about my past, started to think about, um, how I became who I was, how did I get to this point in life, right? And so that led me to realize like, wow, I, I think my personality is definitely a little more introverted. And I got used to over time, people describing me as reserved, laid back, cool, these different things. And for a long time, I thought that was like a bad thing. I kind of viewed that like, man, I need to break out of my shell. I need to become something different. And what I realized in early 2020 is that there's actually parts of my personality that have helped me to excel and actually do well in life. And so I came up with this whole concept of introvert leader. And so to your question about content, uh, actually November th uh, 30th, so almost a year uh, coming up on here in a few weeks, I posted my first content on Instagram. And I didn't know what it was going to do. I'll be honest, I didn't even know what I was doing. I just said, hey, I'm going to call myself the introvert leader. I chose that name because I wanted it to be something that doesn't sound common. People don't usually associate introverted personalities with leadership. And, you know, I've proven to myself that I can be a leader and still have my personality type. Right. So it just started as that man. And to be honest, uh, content is hard. And I think, you know, it's easy when you got somebody with tons of followers and they're getting a hundred, a thousand likes and they're getting all these comments. Right. But in the very beginning, you know, I'm posting pictures. I'm getting two likes. You know, I'm getting one comment. You know what I mean? One of the comments is from like a friend of mine, <laughs> you know. Uh, so it's real easy to do that when you're getting all that love and everything. But 
one thing that I said was from the very beginning, I said to myself, this introvert leader thing, at the minimum, I'm going to give this a five-year run. And I'm going to post at least one piece of content every single day. And if at the end of that five years, I've got no traction, no followers, people just aren't feeling it, then all right, you know, I'll stop. But I'm not going to do that until I, I post something every single day. And so what's been amazing, man, is just to see the growth of the following and the love and the DMs that I get and the people that are, had been touched by it. You know, people with similar stories, people that talk about how they felt like being an introvert was a bad thing and they thought they were weak or couldn't be successful. And they see my page and my content and they feel inspired and they feel like they can take on the world. I mean, that's that's why I'm doing it, man. So, uh, yeah, that's that's how the journey started. We met in 1999 on the campus of FAMU. That's right. Then we, then we became fraternity brothers on April 9th, 2004. You were already a Kappa a year before that. So I feel like I know you because we met when we were 18 years old, first time away from away from home, probably for both of us on FAMU's campus, probably the best class to ever go into any school ever. The class of 99 was, you know, across the board. But FAMU was unique because in 97, FAM won College of the Year. Remember that when FAM won College of the Year in 97? Yeah. So. Class of 98 had already made their decision once FAM won College of the Year. The first class to make a decision based off of a school winning College of the Year, we're talking about in all colleges, was Class of 99. That's why we have so many National Merit Scholars and such just the talented tent. And I know we have similar upbringings because we all, you know, we came together that same year at the same school, players the same fraternity. But I've never got a chance to ask you about your childhood. What was your, what was your childhood like? That that's crazy, right? Like there's people that I'm close with and I've been friends with for over 20 years. And I realized as I was writing my book, there are things that I don't know about some of my closest friends. <laughs> you know, so it's funny to hear you say that because I've had the same uh, same kind of you know revelation. So yeah, man. So I grew up moving around a lot. Uh, my dad was an accountant, so he took a lot of different jobs, different companies, things like that. So, you know, I spent a little bit of time in Louisville, Kentucky. Then we moved to Dallas. Then we moved to uh, California, San Francisco area. Then we moved to Anaheim, which is Southern California. Then we moved to Rochester, New York. And then we ended up back in Dallas. So see, a lot of people don't even know that. So like when I got to FAM, they was like, oh, he's one of the Texas boys, you know, but a lot of people didn't even know that I moved around like that, you know? So I actually got to Texas when I was 14. Um, but uh, yeah, man. So, you know, as far as my childhood, I was like a real outgoing kid. I was one of those kids in class. Like I was the first one to raise my hand. I was the first one, like going to the board to answer questions, you know, always real social, everything like that. And uh, what happened was when I was 13 in the seventh grade, and I talk about this at the start of my book. And it's funny how situations happen to you. And you don't even think about how they impact you until later in life. Like I hadn't even thought about this incident until about two years ago. But uh, at the time I was singing in a choir and I was playing basketball. I was doing a lot of different things, but I really enjoyed singing. And so 
uh, the choir director in this class was just real hard on me. You know, she would just be rough on me in, in, in class and everything like that, calling me out for not, you know, hitting certain notes, different things like that. Right. So uh, this one day we were, you know, we started singing a song and it got to my section, which we were, you know, the tenors, that's the section I was in. And so, you know, I just, I just start singing. I'm trying to impress her, you know, I'm singing real loud, everything like that. And bro, she stops the music, slams her piano down. She's like super angry in the face. And she stares right at me in front of all the kids in class. And she's like, at the time people called me Terry, like y'all know me as Terrence, but that was kind of my, my name back then was Terry. So she's like, Terry Lee, you are off key. You need to stop singing right now. Just stop singing in front of everybody, right? So she says that, and, you know, I just, like, drop my head. And you, and you remember, you know how middle school is, right? So, like, you know, my classmates, they clowning me. They laughing, you know what I mean, all of this. So I'm sitting there just, you know, head down, like, slumped. Um, and, yeah, it, it really messed with me, man. Like, I didn't realize, but that really was a turning point because after that happened, I never wanted to, like, speak in front of class anymore. Like, I never wanted to really lead anything. Like, even my time at FAM, like, I didn't really take on, like, leadership roles, per se. You know, like, even in our fraternity, when I think about it, a lot of the stuff that I was elected to do is because someone else wanted me to do it. It's not like I stepped up and was like, yo, I want to do this. And a lot of that, when I really think about it, it stems back to that incident. My confidence was really damaged in a way. And I didn't even realize it. And I think for so many years, because I just I just covered it, you know, and I would just act like everything was all good and everything was cool. But in the back of my mind, there was this like self-confidence that was lacking. And so I really had to work through that and, and get over that. How did you get over that? Man, honestly, um, when I started my career in engineering, when I graduated FAM, I got in some situations where it was kind of like sink or swim. Uh, there was a guy that put in his two week notice and I had only been uh, working at the company for a few months. I was working at Lockheed Martin and there was this big presentation he had to give in front of a bunch of pilots, a bunch of engineers and things like that. You know, and I'm fresh out of school. He had been mentoring me for a few months and everything. And so he puts his notice in and he's like, all right, Terrence, so you're going to have to give the brief. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, so just imagine, you know, kid fresh out of school, very complicated technical brief. On top of that, I don't even like talking in front of people. So right. how is this going to go? But surprisingly, he really helped me out um, and got me ready for it. And I, and I did great. It, it went well. And uh, I gained a lot of confidence from that. And so really since then, my career has really just progressed. You know, so now I'm, uh, I'm a program manager at a, a Fortune 500 defense contractor. I'm leading teams regularly, you know, large teams with a lot of responsibility. And I'm just, you know, so that was, I think, the turning point. It was like one of those sink or swim moments. And then the more that I uh, spoke in front of people, the more confidence I got, the more that you kind of get through that fear um, and I just fought through it, man. So, yeah, that's it. Growing up, being from Cleveland, we used to listen to a lot of different music. So we listened to the East Coast. We listened to the West Coast. And we listened to all the music coming out of the South, plus a little Midwest. When I got down to FAM, I realized 
that a lot of the people that I became cool with or gravitated to were from the same places that the artists that I liked were from. So was real cool with the Texas boys. Mm -hmm. UGK, Big Mike, Scarface, yeah. some of my favorite artists. Real cool with the Memphis boys. But uh, not Bun B, but uh, Eight Ball and MJG. Yeah. Cool with the Cali boys, Snoop. Did you notice that you gravitated towards people that were from places that were singing, I guess, the tunes of those areas? And did you notice that, or do you think that the music had an effect on the people that were from there, or they were letting people know how the how the people that were from that place are making certain people that like those types of people gravitate to them. Did you ever thought about that? I've never even thought about that, man. But, you know, I sit here and I think about it and it's like, when I think about like just the, the Texas crew, like, you know, so like me, KB, rest in peace, our brother, uh, Fro, Dave, Harold, you know, Aaron, like, James D, like all the Texas boys and kind of how we were. And I think about that, like that screw sound. And I think about that Scarface and I think about, you know, what we used to listen to. And I do feel like our vibe and the way we used to kind of rock, we were we were a little more like that laid back that, um, you know, I mean, we still, you know, we, we would still turn up. But, you know, what I mean, right. At the end of the day, we were still kind of this laid back vibe. So I do think the music, man. And then it's funny that you say that. I've never even thought about that. Like, because I feel like people from Ohio, people from the Midwest in general, like Ohio, Chicago, like it's certain areas that we really used to rock with heavy. Like people that for some reason, there was just this genuine, like, I don't know, man. It was like a connection off jump, you know? It was. It Areas and I never even thought about it the way you described it, man. That, that probably did have something to do with it. Yeah, it's something that always that always crossed my mind. Now you're an engineer. Um, well, you know what? I want to come back to that. I want to come back to that. How can someone know if they're an introvert? Because I got a feeling that I'm I'm an introvert. Off jump from you know you know me. Do you think I'm an introvert? You know it's it's uh. <clears throat> I think sometimes society puts people in these boxes and I think the whole introvert extrovert conversation is so complex because like even with me right I consider myself to be an introvert but it doesn't mean I'm introverted in all situations you know what I'm saying because like when I think about you know like when we would all be hanging out at the orchards or certain places in, in school when I'm around people I'm comfortable with I can talk all day you know I can talk all day and we can, you know, clown, watch football, whatever, whatever. But when I'm in other situations, when say somebody new maybe enters the room, someone maybe I'm not as comfortable with or I don't vibe with, I may get a lot more quiet and people would assume, oh, he's real quiet. He doesn't have anything to say. I would say for you, man, I see your personality kind of similar to mine because I've seen you in situations where like you're real social and everything, but I've also seen you be kind of real laid back, kind of more chill. So it's almost like, you know, I think our personalities could be, you know, a little similar because and I don't know, it, it, I'd be interested to hear you describe it. You know, what do you what would you consider yourself to be? 
you know, I hadn't, I never thought about it until you started putting content out. So it started to get on my radar. And then when I knew we needed to talk, because it came a time after you posting for three to six months, I said, wait, hold up. Terrence is doing something special and we deserve a conversation and we should have a conversation that we deserve because not because of the friendship, because you really have put in the work and you're really serious about your craft. And, you know, and I saw you get better over time with it. I'm like, oh, he's starting to get good now. These start these things are starting to hit the algorithm. I'm starting to see people outside of the circle starting to comment. I'm like, this we need to have a conversation about this. So I'm the exact same. I, if I, we don't know each other, probably won't talk at all. But if we know each other, probably think I'm the silliest, coolest too. And it's uh, it was a time within our fraternity one time right before I became one. Someone asked about me and I heard you out the corner of my ear. I didn't look over there. I heard you out the, out the, you know, from my, I heard you say like you were in the corner. I could kind of see you like cat a corner. I don't know who you were talking to. And he was like, you don't know Todd? Yeah, he's, he's real cool. You know, and this person didn't know me probably because I never would talk around people that I didn't know. So I think I'm the exact same way. I'm a, I'm an introverted extrovert. I'm pretty yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah you know that, that makes sense now you're an engineer by trade and i saw a picture where you had the whiteboard in front of you where i know it's uh you know you're writing down a lot of steps and i know that's probably something that engineers do what skills or practices have you learned in engineering school or as an engineer that have helped you just in life in general is it taking a problem and breaking it down by the steps that need to be taken. Walk me through what your engineering uh, training has helped you in life. Great question, man. Great question. So, you know, it's funny. Um, I would say that it's helped me a lot with my content creation. It helped me a lot with the introvert leader. You know, uh, people probably wouldn't see the similarities in, you know, doing engineering for an aircraft and doing something like, you know, content creation. But one thing that, I've had to do my whole career is solve problems, right? So the way my mind works, I see something like, all right, I want to create a platform to help people, right? So immediately what I did before I made that first post, I wrote out an entire plan. Like I wrote out an entire plan with steps. I said, all right, so the algorithm works this way. I did research on, you know, the algorithms for Instagram, for Facebook, all these social media platforms. I'm looking into that. I'm also you know, thinking about how I'm going to attack it. Right. I'm also setting my goals for where I want to be by certain points, uh, you know, just in the whole journey. Um, so it helped me a lot with that because I think my mind, I just naturally think in steps. Like I naturally think this is a problem. What are the steps I need to take to solve that problem or to get where I'm trying to go? Um, and I'll say the other one, man, that's been really big is that my industry is very high pressure. Um, you know, I work for, you know, with, with military customers, you know, so this is the army, this is the air force, and you're working on products that have to get sent out to places by certain times. And there are, you know, it, it's very high stakes, you know, so it's not like, Hey, maybe we can do this. We might be able to hit this date. We might be able to No, It's like, no, you will meet this deadline. You will make this happen. And so I have a very like, no excuse kind of mindset. Like, 
with me, it's like, all right, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what I have to do to make this work. You know, like, it's not like, all right, I might post some content once a day. No, I'm going to post content every day. Uh, I'm going to make this happen. Like if I have a goal, it's like, I'm going all out. And at the end of the day, if I go all out and it doesn't work. And like I said earlier, if no one's rocking with it or it's not changing lives the way that I intended, then, hey, if I've given everything, then at that point, I'll think about stopping it. But I'm not going to even think about that until, you know, I've gone through years of putting that consistency in. So I think my career has helped me a lot with that, man. You know, you go through those those trials and um, those aggressive deadlines and all of that stuff. So for me, creating a platform with Introvert Leader, I mean, it's like it's just, you know, I guess comes natural. Do you see yourself looking for problems or when something comes to you, you just start looking for solutions because being trained to be able to break down a problem so easy. A lot of times people will go out, look for problems and say, Hey, I know how to break down these problems. And if I come to a solution and it can help a bunch of people, then, you know, that can be, you know, really you know, that can be worthy of my time. How do you do that? Do you look for problems within business and, you know, people, or do you just look for the solutions? Walk me through, through that a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, man. So I think it's a little bit of both, you know, cause like with introvert leader, what I saw was I, I saw a white space. I saw a gap in the market. I, when I searched for because I had this idea to empower introverts, but then it's like, okay, you have an idea. Well, what now? Right. So I started to look up, you know, who's talking about introversion, who's talking about leadership, who's talking about the two of those together. You know what I'm saying? And I didn't see a whole lot out there that was specifically targeted to like introverted professionals, for example, you know, so I'm a professional, I'm looking to climb the ladder. I'm looking to get in certain positions what do I need to do to set myself up for success? I didn't see a lot in that area. So I guess to answer your question, you know, I probably in that sense was, you know, I saw a problem, you know, cause I saw something that wasn't, you know, being addressed. And then my mind from there started to think about the solution. And so then it was like, all right, so here's this white space, here's this area. Now, what can we do? What's the solution? And so then that's when started writing my book, Quiet Voice, Fearless Leader, you know, because now it's like we know there's a gap. There's a, an area that people aren't really addressing and talking about. Um, and then, you know, something else to just to be you know specific as well is I would venture to say that in the black community and even just from like an HBCU sense and kind of my upbringing, I don't think that introversion in the black community is really understood well because a lot of what i see and i don't know if it's just me but a lot of what i see is the people that get celebrated as good speakers the people that are like oh this person's a leader that person is is doing well in our community it's typically people that it's typically people that are outspoken people that are outgoing people that talk a lot people that talk fast like that that's what i see a lot in our community gets a lot of the attention where the quiet, um, I call it quiet strength, like those people that are a little more quiet, but when they do say something, they've got something important to say. I don't think that gets acknowledged enough. And so I wanted to hit it from that angle too. You know, that that was also, I think, kind of a problem or a white space uh, that I also saw there too. I totally agree. Why did you become a Kappa? 
<laughs> you know, man, when I was a kid, my uncle Lloyd, who actually pledged Alpha Z in the 50s. Yeah, a lot of people didn't know that. My, my uncle Lloyd, Lloyd Hadley. Um, he was just so cool, man. He was so cool, like, and not just cool, like, swag, you know what I mean? But just the way he carried himself. Um, and I always admired him before I even knew he was a Kappa. I didn't know he was a Kappa uh, at first, like when I was a kid growing up and everything like that. But I was like, man, Uncle Lloyd is just, he's just fly. He's cool. You know what I mean? Um, I found out he was a Kappa when I was probably about 12, 13. So, you know, like middle school age. Um, and so that was, I, I would say that was my first example of like, all right, this is what Cap Alpha Psi is about. Like the way that he carried himself, the way when I would talk to him, the way that just he was, you know, I was like, all right, one day I want to do that, you know? So that kind of planted the seed, I would say, when I was like in middle school. And then, you know, when I got to, I got to fam, man, and spring 2000, freshman year, and just, you know, being on campus when they crossed and just, man, I mean, yeah, that, that's, that's when I knew for sure. And then there were other people as well. Uh, Doc Moore, uh, Michael Moore, you know, he's married to, to uh, my cousin's mom. So, you know, we're, we're basically related, you know, so Doc Moore is mm. definitely, uh, he was a big influence on me as well. So uh, yeah, there was, there was always a lot there, man, as far as Kaplan. What's your writing style and process? Do you leave for a weekend and write on trips? Do you write early? Do you write late? Do you jot down notes during the day and then flush them out later? Do you talk into your, your iPhone with notes and then go from there? Talk, walk me through your writing style. Man, that's a good question, bro. Cause I'll be honest. Um, when I started writing the book, I didn't know what I was doing. So, um, I got a lot better the more experience that I had doing it. Cause this is what I would do in the beginning. In the beginning, I wanted everything to be perfect. So my writing style, when I first started writing my book was like, I would start writing. Right. And then if I misspelled a word or if something just seemed off, if I missed like a comma, you know, I would, I would go back and I fix it. And then I would mess up again and I'd go back and I fix it. And then I would look up and hours have passed and I got like one page, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And what I realized and I started reading and, you know, listening to interviews of different authors that were very experienced and things like that is I learned to just let it flow. I just let it flow. Um, so my writing style and what I really did with quiet voice, fearless leader, it, bro, it was, I mean, literally like stream of consciousness. I don't know any other way to describe. So it's like I get a thought and it's like, oh, I got to get this out. Pull the laptop up. Boom, boom, boom. I got 20 pages knocked out, like literally, like I'm just there for hours, just boom. And then what's crazy is I may not write for another few weeks because the other thing that I learned about my writing process is I can't force it. Like I can't force content. If I'm forcing like I've, oh, I've got to write today, it's not going to come out right. Like I tried to do that sometimes. I try to even put myself on a writing schedule with some authors, you know, that works for some authors. They say, hey, I'm going to write two pages a day. For me, it didn't work like that because I might have a day where I'm just not, the thoughts just aren't flowing. The ideas aren't flowing. And for me, it's better if I take a break. 
but when they do start flowing like i gotta get that laptop and get to work because it, it's just gonna come and so that's that's how it was with me man it wasn't a very structured thing it was like you get the feeling and you just you get the thoughts out you know when you have a project one of the most contentious places is friends supporting you. Yeah. I found friends support differently than strangers. What has been your experience with friends supporting? How do you feel when a friend supports? And on the flip side, how do you feel like honestly when someone you thought would support doesn't support? Well, I'm going to be honest with you, man. The support that I've gotten from friends, family, I mean, for this book, Quiet Voice, Fearless Leader has been amazing. I mean, I, I've been like people posting pictures of the book and posting pictures of, you know, their Amazon, like when the book's going to ship, like, man, it, I mean, it's been amazing support. But I will tell you, I've experienced the flip side as well. So, you know, my first business opportunity, I joined the network marketing company. Uh, this was in 2007 because, yeah, I was a few years out of fam. And, uh, you know, your first opportunity. I mean, I had read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. So I'm like, all right, yeah, I'm, man, I'm about to get it. I'm going to get this business and I'm going to sign up in this company. I'm going to sign up thousands of people, you know, and, and I was just on it. Right. And so, you know, I signed up. I'm thinking I'm going to reach out to my friends. I'm already going to have my whole downline. I'm already going to have everything set up. And uh, man, nobody was signing up. Like nobody was rocking with me. You know, I mean, some of my closest, like, you know, closest people that I was just like, man, I already know they're going to sign up. I know they're going to support me. And it's like, nah, they weren't. But I will be honest, when I look back on it, I don't necessarily blame them. I think in a lot of ways I blame myself because... I was money hungry and I feel like when you're money hungry for things, when that's your focus, then I feel like it comes out. I do. And what I love about what I'm doing now with introvert leader, bro, I posted for almost a year of content. I didn't charge anybody a dime for anything like this book. This is the first time of me even offering anything, you know what I mean? As far as a product or service and Literally, when you're posting something every day for almost a year, you've got to really love what you're doing if you're not making a single dime off of it. You know what I'm saying? And that's how I knew, bro. Like when it was a few months into it and I'm like, people are commenting on my post like, yo, thank you so much. You just helped me through my day. I had a guy DM me that and he was in high school, you know, younger, younger guy. And he was telling me how his parents had divorced and he had been feeling really down. And I had made a real about how you should never give up on your dreams and never give up on your life. And you should, you know, and this dude DM me, bro. And was like, yo, I was, I've been depressed for like the past few months. I saw your reel and like that changed my days. Like, thank you so much, bro. When you get messages like that, that's when I was like, all right, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not making any money right now. And I'm not even tripping on that. I'm just going to continue to add value, continue to empower people where, where I can and all that other stuff, the money and all that will come, you know? So, yeah, man, that, that's just, that's how I view it, man, at the end of the day. I'm talking about, you said so many things that are on point, but just leading with purpose, man. When you lead with purpose, 
everything else kind of falls behind. People can tell when you're just out to make a quick buck. You know, there's, there's a lot of things to unpack there. That's, I'm, I'm glad you expounded on that. You said you're a leader within the organizations that you're in, and you wrote a book on leadership. How would you describe your leadership style? Yeah, man. So, you know, I'd like to think my leadership style is, is collaborative. Um, I'm one of these people because I never liked when uh, I've worked with good leaders and bad leaders, you know, and some leaders, they get their name on the org chart and they get this position and they're they're very much about their position and they're very much about being heard and people respecting them and people calling them, you know, director so-and-so, president so-and-so. They're very big on titles and all that kind of stuff. For me, I don't care about any of that. Um, I try to be collaborative. So I would say my leadership style is I ask people on my team what their thoughts are. Like, I want to know what someone else is thinking. I want to know, you know, um, I have a very open door policy. You know what I'm saying? I let people on my team know, never feel like you can't come to me and talk to me. Never feel like you can't tell me bad news. Never feel like, oh, that's Terrence. He's a program manager. I got to, you know, I don't know if I can go to him, but no, you can absolutely come to me. Matter of fact, the person that just hired in that maybe is new, I want to hear their thoughts probably first because they're detached from the whole, you know, org structures and they don't care about any of that. Like they can probably come in with a fresh perspective. So that's the person who I want to hear from. So I would say, you know, I, I try to be collaborative, man. And then um, the other thing is I'm very big about empowering other people. That That's my, that's my big thing, man. Like I think that's one of my missions in life. So when I see somebody that needs help or when I see somebody that I know they got potential and I can, and I'm in a situation where I can help them grow that potential then I'm all about doing that, man. So I'm just about, you know, growing potential. I'm about being collaborative uh, and, and being a servant, like servant leadership. You know, I've read up a lot on that where it's like leadership's not even a, a, about me <laughs> to, to me. To me, it's about my team. You know, how can I serve my team? How can I make sure my team wins at the end of the day? You know what I'm saying? So that, that's what it's about for me, man. I struggle with candor which can be detrimental for leaders. How can someone who has candor issues get over that? <laughs> so, so candor in the sense of uh, like the way you say things to people or like how, how you communicate with people. I look at, I look at it. I call it almost kind candor. So you want to be kind, but still tell people the truth and, you know, get to what you need to get done. I'm, I'm, I'm terrible at that. That's what I'm working on. So I usually don't say something. I'll be like, well, did you see the Browns game yesterday? Then the next day you're fired. And people would just be taken back from me. Like you were just saying we we're talking about the good game and I'm not good at telling someone, hey, you need to be doing this. You know, I know what I need to do, but I'm just, it's just my weak point in leadership. Do you have any tips for someone that struggles with kind candor? I got you, man. I got you. So yeah, I'll be honest. I, I struggled with that for a long time too, man. And and I continue to, because uh, what it is, is confrontation. It's yes. confrontation. You know what I'm yes. saying? It's like having the tough conversation with somebody. 
And when I became a functional manager, so, you know, I do program management, management, but I'm also a functional manager. So, you know, I'm doing people's performance reviews at the end of the year. I'm having these tough conversations when things happen. And I, I struggled with that in the beginning. I did. Like I would push those tough conversations off. And what I learned and a mentor of mine actually told me this, and it's, it's something that I have is, uh, is just one of my phrases that I think about is bad news doesn't get better with time. And so that was really a bar when he told me that because, and the, re- the way he described it is that's a perfect scenario. You just said, right. If you've got somebody and for, you know, they're messing up or they're just not, you know, doing their job or what they're supposed to be doing. If you tell them up front and let them know, then there's a chance to course correct. You know, there's a chance for them to actually do something about it. But if they find out later and now it's like, all right, hey, time for you to get fired. There was never any chance for that, you know, that course correction. But but this does require confrontation. Right. It, it requires uncomfortable conversation. And I used to not like those. And I will say that what I've learned to do is first you know, sit in the situation and realize what's going on. Right. So the first thing I'll do now is like, okay, so this is the situation. I need to have this tough conversation with this person. I actually had to have one of these today. Matter of fact, it's crazy. We're talking about this. Um, It's like, okay, this is the situation. This is what I need to communicate. Um, And then it's all about how you communicate things because you can have a tough conversation with somebody and it can totally come out out of love. Right. It doesn't have to come off like, you know, all right, I'm trying to beat you down. I'm telling you, you messed up. I'm telling you, no, like you can communicate things where it can be taken, you know, the right way. And most people, man, I'll be honest, uh, and this isn't everybody, but most people, when they know that you care about their well-being and they know that you have their back, you giving them constructive criticism is not going to break them. And if anything, they would really, they appreciate it. You know, it's like the conversation today that I had, like they, I had to say something to somebody about something that's been an issue for a while. I probably should have brought it up a few weeks ago. Um, And they appreciated me telling them because they actually didn't know. They thought they were doing a good job all this time. That's the other thing that happens too. People will think everything's all good, but if they don't know, then, you know, they can't really correct. So, yeah, I would say a tip, man, is just, you know, sit in the situation and kind of understand what it is. And once you understand what the situation is, then come up with a plan to attack it, you know, and yeah. and just have the conversation. You know, it's like I said, it's not always comfortable, but um, the earlier you do it, the better. So, you know, inside organizations, one has to kind of balance doing the right thing and keeping their job. What do you suggest for someone that's in a leadership position that wants to speak up more, but fears for their job? How do they handle that? Mm -hmm. Do you come in to a meeting and hear what's going on and still voice your opinion because you want to be politically correct? Or do you pull people to the side and talk about it? Or you do you just not say something when you know it's a better way to do something or it's going to be proven wrong the way we're doing it? How do you how do you go about that? Because talking to superiors is a tough thing. It is, man. It is. And. um, I would say it depends on the situation. 
And so, let, so like, let me give you an example. So um, like on the program that I'm on, you know, we have a director and there are different directors uh, within our product line and things like that, right? So let's say I disagree with something that our director is saying in a meeting, right? Like, you know, he's saying something, I'm just like, eh, I don't know if that's gonna, but like the other directors are also in that meeting, right? Like maybe those are his peers or maybe, you know, even his boss, like, you know, the vice president's in the meeting or something like that. I'm probably not in that setting gonna be like, well, hey, so-and-so, you know, I, I just, I don't know if that's gonna work. You know, I really don't think we should do that, right? In that setting. Now, if it's a setting where maybe it's, you know, myself, some of the other program managers, him, it's a little more tight knit, we're a little more comfortable, we can, you know, really have that conversation and talk to each other, then I'm going to let him know in that setting. But I think sometimes what can happen is you can, you know, I don't want to say put somebody on the spot, right? But you just got to read the room, you got to read the situation. Now, what I will say is, I think one of the worst things to do and I've done this in the past and I've had to work through this and, you know, I'm glad it's something I've gotten through. But one of the worst things is to not say nothing. That's one of the worst things. So like, you know, there's a problem, you know, the situation is not going to work. You know, there's an idea people are throwing out there and it's going to go all bad. And then, and then you just don't say anything because like you said, right. You don't want that, um, that confrontation, right, of talking to your superior or whoever, and now you've said something and maybe it's an issue. But when you don't say anything, that's a problem, you know what I'm saying? Because now when it happens, you could have said something that could have prevented that, you know what I'm saying? So I really had to get through that, man. And I will say I'm in a good situation. Like the team that I work on, we're very transparent with each other. I don't think everyone has a situation like that. So for some people, it can be intimidating because if they're in situations where like their superior or whoever they work for isn't open to communication uh, in some cases. And I'll be honest, I've seen this. Some leaders are actually insecure because and because they're insecure, if you question them or if you challenge them, they're not going to be able to take that. So um, I think it's on leaders to, you know, be able to take criticism from their team, but it's also on, you know, people that work for those leaders to have the courage to speak up, you know, uh, but do read the situation and, and just do it the right way. Going back to things that you can't ask your friends. Tell me about the statue that's in Tallahassee, because I heard, is it your grandfather that has a statue in Tallahassee? Yeah. Yep. Tell me. Tell me about that. Who was your grandfather? Where is the statue? You know, and that type of thing. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. So uh, my grandfather, Fred Lee Sr., is my dad's uh, father, and he he passed away before I was born, so I never got to meet him. But uh, in 1957, he became the first African-American police officer in Tallahassee. So they uh, put a statue up of him in uh, 2000. Two, I believe it was. You know, you know what's crazy about it, man. I think about certain stuff now that that I've left fam. I was at fam when that statue went up. I don't think I even like. It's not like I advertised it. You know what I'm saying? It's not right. like I was talking to the to the homies like, "Hey, man, my granddad's got a statue," and you know, but I, I didn't really do that. You know, because I just I don't know. Maybe that wasn't my personality. Is just, but. I would always drive by it all the time. I would get out the car. I would sit there when I was having, you know, tough times, you know, might have failed a test or certain things happened, you know, personal life. Like that's where I would go. 
Like when I was wow. in Tallahassee, man, that became like my place. You know what I'm saying? Um, but yeah, it's in, it's in Frenchtown area, Tallahassee. Um, so it's right. Uh, man, I'm forgetting the street names now. But uh, yeah, basically Frenchtown, not too far from there was a Popeye's right there on the corner that used to be at a, uh, I can't remember the street names, bro. But yeah, yeah. it's in Frenchtown area. So yeah, it's right there. Yeah, that's my granddad. And actually there are two kids uh, like depicted in, you know, in the statue and the girl is my sister. Like wow. that's my sister. And then there's a little boy. That's my cousin, Dane. So. Yeah. Oh, wow. Well, the first black police officer in Florida. Well, in Tallahassee, in the city of Tallahassee. That's it. That's too cool. That's too cool. What are your thoughts on the Cowboys this year? Because I was in the barbershop after the first week, and one of the barbers in there is a Browns and a Cowboys fan. Have you ever seen something like that? I don't think I have. That's an interesting combination. (laughs) It's an interesting combo. So he Mm -hmm. said that he thinks – are going to the Super Bowl. I'm like, man, you just talking crazy. The next game, the next day I came back, I'm like, you may be on to something. I said this after the second week. What are your what are your real thoughts on the Cowboys this year? Oh man, I gotta be honest, bro. Being a Cowboys fan is so uh I don't know, it's just draining, bro. It's draining. Because see the problem with Cowboys fans, right? Especially the ones like me that's been down since the 90s the golden era, you know what I'm saying? The three Super Bowl, that that whole situation. We always keep our hopes way up there. Like we always are like, man, we're going back to the Super Bowl. We're going back to the Super Bowl. And every year we say it, right? And so I don't know, man. Like I, I, I'm like, I become a skeptic now. You know what I'm saying? Like they got this great record they're killing, but I'm like, ah, what's going to happen? You know what I mean? I'm, I'm looking at the rest of the schedule, and I'm like, ah, right, when are they going to blow it? You know what I'm saying? I mean, hey, they, they got a great squad, great squad. I mean, and I think they definitely got the potential to, to go all the way for sure, man. Like This, this team looks looks a lot different in the past few years. But, again, I just, you know, I'm, I'm maybe because I've been beat down too much by them, man, I'm just, you know, not getting my hopes up too high. <laughs> Makes sense. Makes sense. Tell me, like, about the in the book. Like, when I open this book and I read it cover to cover, what am I going to get? What am I going to learn? What do you want to impress on people in quiet voice, fearless leader? Yeah, man. So a few things. So one of the first things um, and really the goal and the takeaway from the book, and I talk about this in the very beginning, is the goal of the book is not to change anyone from being an introvert. Because I think sometimes people could see a title like this, Quiet Voice, Fearless Leader, 10 Principles for Introverts to Awaken the Leader Inside, right? And they automatically think like, oh, okay, this book's going to try to get me to not be an introvert anymore. No, that's actually not the goal of the book at all. The goal of the book is actually to show people with more introverted personalities that you actually are powerful being an introvert. And there's actually strengths that you have that you probably haven't thought of before. So that's one of the very key takeaways is the book starts to dive into what are the strengths of introversion? Because I think society so often talks about these negatives that just aren't true. Like, oh, introverts are quiet. Introverts are weak or introverts need to speak up more. Introvert There's all these things. It's like, well, no, this book actually says you are who you are and you should step into who you are and, and be confident in who you are. And here are some strengths about who you are. Right. At the same time, in the book, we also offer tips for introverts. So it's like, all right, 
you realize this is your personality type and this is who you are. Now, how can you be your best you, right? How can you be your best you and grow into the leader you want to become, whether that's at work, whether it's in business and life with your family, whatever the situation is, you know, and, and take that personality and view it as not a crutch, but as a strength. So, uh, you know, it's 10 chapters. Every chapter is a different leadership principle. And so we go into, you know, what that principle is. I give stories from from my life. Uh, I got very vulnerable in the book. I talk about different mistakes, different mess ups, times that I was insecure about things and nobody had any idea. I, I talk about that stuff because I wanted to make sure that people don't think I'm just this guy that wrote this book and I've got it all figured out because I don't. You know, I'm just somebody that uh, I've leaned into who I am. Uh, for a long time, I didn't, um, I thought I had to be somebody else and I don't feel like that anymore. And so as far as like the main takeaway, that's like the main takeaway is step into who you are, love who you are. And, you know, there's tips along the way throughout the book for how to get you to where you're trying to go. So, uh, yeah, I think that's the best way to describe it. Trying to get people to kind of un unleash and unlock their potential. And from an introvert's perspective, how important is empathy? And if someone from the outside can't truly understand you, to be empathetic to their to their outlook on who you are and how you operate. How important is empathy? It is very important. It's very important because you know I, I think people are the product of their experiences. You know. Um, and some people, they just assume that people that are more introverted are a certain way. And it's just because they don't know any better. It, you know, it, it's not that they're trying to be uh, mean or it's not that they're trying to be rude or anything like that. They just might really think like, oh, that person needs to speak up more. Oh, that person, um, something's wrong. They're antisocial. Like they may just think that way because that's how they've always thought. And so I think as introverts, it's important for us to realize that and, you know, to be empathetic to that, because I think society just doesn't understand the introvert mind, like the way that we operate, the way that we work, you know. So we have to have empathy for that and allow people a chance to, you know, kind of step into our world and, and understand a little bit better. Where can people buy the book? Yeah, man. So the book is available uh, on my website, quietvoicefearlessleader.com. Uh, we've got the paperback and the ebook are currently out. Uh, so it's available on Amazon, but people can go through my website to get to that. And there's also an audio version coming out. Uh, so that's going to be available here in the next few weeks. I'm actually working on the final details, getting all that kind of tightened up. So uh, yeah, the audio is going to be available on my website as well. So uh, but yeah, right now, paper books out, ebooks out. So quietvoicefearlessleader.com. How can people find you online? Yeah, so best way to reach me, I'm, I'm most active on Instagram. So on Instagram, I'm at the introvert leader. I'm also on TikTok, uh, at the introvert leader. And then Twitter is at introvert lead. Uh, somebody had taken the introvert leader on, uh, on Twitter, so I don't know what's up with that, but I was able to get introvert lead on there. So uh, so, yeah, man. Yeah. So anyone out there would love to connect. And uh, yeah, we'll just go from there. 
Terrence, think about it, man. We were we were eighteen year old boys when we first met. Now we're forty year old men with families, like really talking about you know real stuff, man. It's just oh, man. It's you crazy. know I can't, I can't say that we didn't see ourselves being this because we always thought highly of ourselves and knew we'd be great professionals and great men. But I don't know if I thought it was going to be this quick. <laughs> For four bro. years old, man. <laughs> it's wild, bro. I got a, you know, I got a six-year-old son, bro. And I was just out there today, you know, throwing the football with him. And, you know, we running around. And this dude is, like, beating me in races, man. And I'm like, I'm like, what's going on? You know what I mean? I, You know, and I realized, like, yeah, I'm I'm 40. It's crazy, bro. It's, cra- it's crazy how the time is just gone. You know, but I'll tell you what's what's really dope, though, man, is I love the fact that, like, you know, me and you can get on here and we can chop it up and talk. And it's like no times pass. You know, people from fam man, certain like certain people that you had that connection with, you know, you just you you see them. And it's like it's like no times pass, man. So, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it is, man. But so proud of you, man. So happy for you. You know, wanna wanna wish you the best with everything. And you know, we're all, you know, I'll always be here to support you. And um, you know, anybody we have friends that aren't even online, you know I've told them about it, and a couple of them have uh have bought it. Charles said he he bought it too. So he was like, Man, I was hoping it got to me before the interview. That's <laughs> it. I appreciate it, bro. And hey, and I and I'm the same way, bro. I you know, I'm I'm proud of you, though. I've been watching what you've been doing online. It's amazing. I, I love the platform. It's, it's so needed. Like, you know, uh, I was mentoring some high school boys for a while, and they didn't know anything about HBCUs, like, at all, you know? And so platforms like yours are just so needed, bro. And so I, I love the consistency of what you do. So keep pushing, man. I'm here to support you as well, man. Appreciate that. Best of luck. Quiet voice, fearless leader, the introvert leader on on Instagram, quietvoicefearlessleader.com. Pick up the book. Anything else you wanna you, you wanna say before we get off here? Nah, man. Hey, I just appreciate you having me on, bro. And you know, definitely a lot more coming. I will say that introvert leader. You know, the book Quiet Voice Fearless Leader is just the beginning. So there's a lot more things planned for next year, and I'm just looking forward to you know empowering people however I can. And uh, yeah, I just appreciate you having me on the platform, man. Yes, sir. Introvert leader. Follow right now. Peace. Thanks for taking the time, T. Definitely, man. Appreciate it. Hey, podcast listeners. I hope you enjoyed the episode. We value your feedback. If you have any, please tweet us at HBCU grad. Catch you on the next episode.